Welcome to We Need to Talk About Tech, tech. Uh, where we talk about the past, present, and future of technology. Hello, everyone in podcast land. Welcome to this week's episode. On this week's episode, we talk about the brand new Fairphone 5, the king of repairable phones. We're talking about the announcement of the newest Apple event, Wonderlust, and we're talking about the newest Ahsoka episode, episode three. All right, topic number one, the Fairphone 5 is out and reviews aren't great. For those of you who don't know, their Fairphone is a bit of a response to, you know, the the overproduction of phones that we have and all of the harmful, pro, you know, the harmful materials that are mined and then not reused. Yes, electronics and cell phones are like a big part of our lives, right? Probably some of you are even listening to this podcast on a cell phone, but just through the process of the materials gathered to make these phones and then refined to make these phones and the phones being made. And the fact that people upgrade their phones probably like what, every two to three years, right? So it's a lot of waste that goes on and Fairphone said, Hey, what if we could reduce the amount of waste? So they make their phones through, I think mostly, recycled materials so like recycled aluminums and recycled plastics and they also build their phones to last long and be repairable so every part on the phone is replaceable you can even order the parts straight from fairphone and replace them yourself and what's cool about this is unlike you know an iphone or a samsung galaxy phone it's not glued together you don't need a heat gun and a special prying tool to open up the phone you just use a regular screwdriver you can pop off the back, you can replace the battery, you can replace the cameras, you can replace the main board. So everything is user replaceable, right? It has a five-year warranty on the phone, which is pretty great. It's getting five Android updates, which is also great, and five years of security updates too. So it's a very repair-friendly phone. It's a very environmentally-friendly phone. But... It's not a cheap phone. So I think before it used to be a more budget phone, right? But now the price has, you know, been raising and raising. I think now it's $782 American. I think that's what the price is. Um, but you compare that to something like the Pixel 7a, which is only $499. The trade-off is 7a, not really repairable, right? If you want to repair, you probably have to take it into a shop somewhere. But the Fairphone... Yes, it's more expensive, but let's say if your battery dies, you don't have to bring it into a shop or you don't have to buy a new phone, which is usually what people do. You can order a battery straight from the Fairphone website, replace it yourself, and then your battery life is back to what it was when the phone was new. So there are trade-offs, but you know, I'm interested to hear what are your thoughts on the Fairphone 5 and what are your thoughts on, okay, one, the price raising right? Because it's been raising over the past few iterations of the phone. But also, what are your thoughts on, you know, like objectively, how is this phone in your opinion? Uh, so for me, I think I would be more in the audience of who this phone was for, uh, simply because I think a lot of the complaints, there are some complaints that really concern me. But one of the a couple of the ones that don't really concern me as much is one is the performance. You know, the performance I, I've been hearing, it doesn't benchmark quite as high as something like the Pixel, but 
you do still get decent gaming support. Like I, I did read on CNET's uh, review that they mentioned, hey, you actually can play Genshin Impact at lower settings on this phone. My current phone can, I don't even think can do that. But it's not going to be as good as obviously a Snapdragon, something like a Samsung phone, um, or the Pixel. But I'm okay with that. I don't play a ton of games on my phone, and the day-to-day usage seems to be good. The other big complaint, um, and this is coming particularly from the CNET review. Once again, I just want to mention, so you did mention the price, but it is only available it's not available in the U.S. market, so a lot of the main U.S. reviewers are are not taking a look at this right now. This is mainly being reviewed out of Europe. It is going to be 699 euros, uh, so it's definitely more pricey, definitely more expensive than the Pixel line, especially something like the Pixel 7a. Uh, still, performance is decent for, for day-to-day use. The one thing that does really concern me and hopefully this is something that can be fixed with an update. Maybe there's just something that's that's wrong with how the phone is operating. But uh, the CNET review specifically went into detail about the battery life. And the battery life being incredibly poor, far worse, sometimes even half the performance of something like a Pixel phone. And Pixel phones have never been touted for having great battery life. They've always been kind of middling. So for a phone to do even worse than that is a little bit concerning. But I think all that goes a little bit out the window. The battery is is still, you know, something to to think about. But most of those things go out the window when you think about the fact that much like phones from the 2000s, the early 2000s, you can just take off the back, pull out the battery and put a new one in. Um, It doesn't require you to unscrew anything to remove the battery. Uh, it's very easy to get access to, and I, I think that's awesome. I wish more fo- mo- most phones did that, um, and I know that is potentially going to be uh, something that happens in the European market. I know there's some talking about making all batteries user replaceable at some point in the future, but then there's also the added things of a lot of times these phones come with the screwdriver in the box. So if you ever need to replace anything, it's just a standard Phillips screwdriver, uh, Phillips screws that you can take out, take each part out. Like you mentioned, no glue. All the parts are sustainably sourced, which is really huge. But for me, the most impressive thing is the support. Like you mentioned, five-year warranty. As expensive as this phone is, that is something to kind of commend because, okay, let's say something does go wrong within five years. Not only do you know parts are readily available, but you know you're under warranty. As long as you didn't break it, if something just happened to to go faulty on the phone within those five years, you're great. But then also a huge problem with Android phones, even in the Pixel line. I think in the Pixel line, you only get three years of support. You get five Android updates and eight years of software support. So, I mean, as you you can take into the account that, yes, this phone is much more expensive than a phone with its specs would typically be but also phones in this price range don't have this level of support so i think it's just recontextualizing what the uh, advantages and what the focus of this phone is the focus of this phone is being sustainable but what where your money is really going is how easy it is to repair and how much support you're getting so you do not need to upgrade your phone every three years most people feel like they have to upgrade them every two because they're not getting any more Android uh, updates. 
They're not getting any more security updates. This phone, you don't have to worry about that. It's going to be covered for at least five years, and you're going to get eight years of software support. You're going to get updated security updates. And if anything goes wrong, you're either going to be covered by your warranty or you're going to be able to repair the phone directly from the manufacturer. So, yeah, I think I would really be happy with this device. But like I mentioned, I mean, the price is still a little bit concerning. I would love for maybe future versions of this phone to get a little bit cheaper. Uh, but there's also the added thing of like, this isn't out in the U.S. markets. Maybe it will come eventually. The Fairphone 4 did come out in American markets eventually. Uh, they are available right now, but this phone is not. I think when they can get to date and date around the world, um, I think that would be great. But yeah, I don't know. If this was available right now and I was in the market for a phone, I would love to be able to say this is the phone I would go for. But that price point is still, still a little bit of a tough pill to swallow. Even if I'm really happy that this phone exists, I think it would be difficult for me to pick up. But I don't know. What, what do you think they need to do to be uh, more into like, oh, this is the phone that I'm going to pick up or you're going to pick up? Do you think it's just focus on cameras, focus on battery life, focus on build quality? Or do you think maybe getting the price lower into the more budget range would help them? Or maybe do none of that and just get into carriers. I mean, if if they can get into something like T-Mobile, and T-Mobile can actually advertise this as the the green phone, the sustainably resourced phone, um, and you can get it for $0 on a contract, maybe that helps. But I'm curious, where do you think Fairphone should go from here? Because honestly, I think they're doing kind of a good job. They just need a little bit of a help uh, to get out there a little bit more. I mean, if I had to say something, I would probably say price and battery, mm -hmm. right? And you brought up a good point, you know, Maybe the battery could be fixed. The battery issue could be fixed with a software update. And in that CNET interview, they said it's some of the worst performance that they've seen on a cell phone battery, Yeah, which is, is not a good statement to have about your phone. They said, you know, possibly why is the chip that it's using? So it's not using like a standard Snapdragon, you know, eight something or even like 700. It's using a Qualcomm QCM6490 which is usually meant for like industrial applications or IOT devices. So, you know, maybe the power profile that they have on the phone is set for something like a standard Snapdragon chip that's used mostly in phones. And the fact that they're using a different chip means they have to, you know, reconfigure their power profile. Maybe that's something that can be easily done with a software update. Mm -hmm. If it is, that's great news for the phone. If it's not, I think... I really don't think that's not that there's no saving for the phone. I just think it'd be hard to, to market this phone. Yeah. Cause yes. Hey, if your battery dies, you can just pop it out and pop it back in or pop in a new one. But I mean, CNET was saying you probably couldn't even get through a full day of regular use with this phone. So as easy as it is to swap the batteries, what we've kind of learned over the past, you know, past years or past decade is that, people would rather just have a phone that lasts a whole day yeah. than to carry like two, three batteries and keep on swapping them in and out. I think you brought up a good point. If they could get this into car into carriers, I think it would go a long way. And especially the type of phone this is, right? Like you're not marketing it to, you're not marketing it to teens or, you know, people in university. This is, oh, this is more for, I would say, for an older crowd mm -hmm. and 
they don't need the performance. They probably don't even need the best camera too, right? So I don't even think they need to necessarily focus as much on the camera because cameras are something that's hard to nail. And I feel if they put research and development and time and money into developing a better camera, I feel like it's time that would be better used on, you know, getting better battery performance or even just, you know, some finding some way to reduce the cost that it, that it is to make each phone so they could then reduce the cost for the consumer. Yeah. So I feel like the type of person that would get this phone at a carrier or even get this phone in general, there's probably not someone who who's too sold on the camera or having a high quality camera. So yeah, I don't think that, I don't think I would focus on that at all. If I were that, I think battery for sure. And price would definitely help. But as you mentioned, you know, the thing about this phone you have to think is, okay, yes, it's $782, right? The Pixel 7a is $500. But if in two years you have to buy a new 7a, which is going to be at least $500, probably 550, maybe 560 at that, or maybe 600 at that point, right? And you're still on your same Fairphone and all you've done is swap the battery, then in the long run, yeah, this phone is cheaper than something like a 7a or cheaper cheaper than you know a, a galaxy a52 right even though as you mentioned if you compare just specs for spec and maybe you know benchmark wise this phone doesn't look that great but if the trade-offs are i don't have to upgrade as often and i can repair you know something that's broken on my phone myself then yeah it's it's worth the worth the money if that's what you care most about on a phone Right. And even when we look at things like it has a micro SD card slot, right? Even if you're an Android user that wants a phone with a micro SD card slot, most or not most, but there's a few phones that have them are higher end devices. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, okay, either I spend 782 on this device or I spend 1500 on a device with a micro SD card slot. I mean, maybe you don't want all the bells and whistles of a $1,500 device and you really only care about the micro SD card slot, then this is, hey, this is a great option for you. And it's going to last a lot longer probably than that $1,500 phone. But yeah, in my mind, battery price are the really the main things that they need to fix. But for you, what would you need to, what would you need to see from them or maybe from the Fairphone 6 to say, okay, I'm in the market for a phone again, and it's checking these boxes. This is the phone that I'm going to get. It's hard for me to say, honestly. I, I think what I would really like them to do is to partner with other phone manufacturers. Um, and I, I'd kind of get want to get your opinion on this. I would love to see Fairphone partner with someone like Apple and say, okay, Apple, you apparently care about being sustainable, being ethical, Come through us. We'll source the parts for your phone. We will help you design it to make it more repairable so that people don't have to go through a genius bar to repair your phone. But then we'll also, you know, maybe supply the parts for the phone. I know iFixit is doing a little bit of that. Um, And then also Apple has their own repair store. But in the past, it always seemed like Apple has done this very face value uh, and not really taking it seriously, whereas Fairphone has taken it seriously. And I would love for them to 
one, I'd love for them to be successful just to kind of force the market to take this this kind of approach. But also, I would love for them to maybe refocus someone like Apple into saying, okay, you don't need a new A20, A24, A13, uh, super bionic, whatever chip. Your performance is already great. Let's focus research and development on how we can make these phones more sustainable. And we can help you with that because we've done it for years. We've know, we know how to make phones like that. Clearly, your engineers know how to make really cool phones. If we come together, maybe even with someone like Nothing, if we can come together and we can kind of consult with these companies to make their existing uh, phones more sustainable, I think that would be great. Um, and maybe sacrifice <clears throat> performance uh, to get to that so that, you know, the phones aren't getting way more expensive. But I don't know. Do you think... Like, obviously, this will never happen, but would it bother you at all if Apple was like, hey, we're going to partner with Fairphone, we're going to continue using the same chips we've always used, so performance isn't going to get much better, but you're going to be able to repair your phone on your own, and we're going to make sure that these parts are sustained, uh, are obtained sustainably and, and, you know, ethically, so that you know you're not getting some parts in your phone that were led to people losing their lives or people in slave kind of labor kind of situations do you think that would be a good trade-off or do you think, no, Apple, people who want Apple phones just want the best performance. They don't really care about any of that other stuff. Obviously they care, but it's not as important as the performance. How, how do you feel about that? Do you think that could be a trade-off? Because I don't know, from my opinion, I think phones have gotten as powerful as they need to be, but I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about that. So personally, you're asking me, I'd be fine with that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think phones are as powerful as they need to be really. and a lot of times, right, especially from Apple, when your phone seems to feel slower or seems like it's getting slower, and they've admitted this, it's Apple throttling your phone's performance because the battery life has died yeah, or it has diminished. So even if, yeah, even if they partnered with Fairphone in a way and it was like, hey, we throttle your performance based off the battery health. If you notice you know, your performance is getting too slow for your liking. Hey, come buy a battery from us. It's easy to swap out yourself and boom, you get performance like a brand new phone again. That would make a lot of sense to me. I'd be very happy for that. I don't need my phone to get any faster than when I took it out of the box. Yeah. But there's a reason Apple is a nearly $3 trillion company. Yeah. And it's not from letting people replace their phones easily or replace their batteries easily. But you brought up a good partnership. I could very much see nothing partnering with a company like Fairphone, right? Especially, okay, with the launch of their first phone, they had this whole like document, mini documentary series on how sustainably sourced their aluminum was and how much they care about the environment. And even if you look at their phones and the motif of their phones, like, hey, it's see, not really see-through. You can't really see the components, but it looks see-through. Mm -hmm. So you can sort of see the internals. I could see them taking it one step further in both, both the seeing the internals part and in the sustainability part also and say, hey, we're combining, we're not combining, we're working in conjunction with Fairphone and we're going to provide replacement parts for our devices. Because even like they don't have the most advanced chips either. Yeah. Right. So they're already not at the bleeding edge of, you know, phone processing power. So I could definitely see them partnering. That, would make, that makes a lot of sense to me, to be honest. And I would like to see Fairphone 
maybe partner with someone who, yeah, makes one better looking phones, better performing phones, and even like better received phones. I don't know if that's something that would happen or could happen, but I think a company like nothing, that would be a great partnership between the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. And it's, it's the thing of like, when you ask the question of like, well, what would they need to do uh, for me to get into their phones? I feel like they've done everything they can do. Like they've, they've made a really sustainable, really awesome idea of a phone. But it's, it's one of those things where they've done the legwork why can't more companies take advantage of all the work that they put in to build the Fairphone and make mm-hmm. it more of a ubiquitous thing? Because I think the idea of the Fairphone is really cool. And I'm pretty sure if companies say, hey, we'll pay you to bring those ideas to our phones, I don't think they would say no. I think the idea of Fairphone is they want to kind of change the the whole cell phone industry. Um, yeah. And what better way to do that by showing the rest of the industry, how to make phones like this. And potentially that will make fair phones better. And that will also make other phones more sustainable. A little bit of wishful thinking, but yeah, I agree. I think it would be really cool. Yeah. On to our second topic of the day. Apple's September event has officially been announced. Now it's been announced for Tuesday, September 12th at 10 a.m. PST or 1 p.m. EST. Now, obviously, as is the case with all of their September events, this is going to be an iPhone event. So we're going to get the iPhone 15 lineup. We're going to get the probably the 15, the 15 Plus, the 15 Pro, the 15 Pro Max. And one thing that people are, a lot of people are speculating on and talking about, and you know, with so many people talking about it, it's almost been confirmed. But also, that's just you know the cell phone market and rumors. We really don't know until the event happens, but apparently the dynamic island, the big feature on the pro phones from last year is coming to all of the iPhone 15s. Apparently all phones are getting USB-C ports. So no portless phones, not this year. (laughs) And they will be getting an updated 5G chip from Qualcomm. Now for the pros, there's going to be some minor redesign changes. The 15s are supposed to look essentially the same as last year except with the dynamic island. So there's going to be a minor redesign, slimmer bezels around the screen, slight changes to the curves on the corners and edges of the phone. And also the pros will be changing material on the frame from stainless steel to titanium. They're also supposed to get the A17 chip. I guess the 15s are getting updated to A16, which was last year's chip, which is supposed to be the A17 is supposed to be Apple's first three nanometer chip ever so there should be pretty considerable performance gains i mean apple's going to come out with their crazy charts without labels and accesses that just show a line going up so (laughs) be prepared to see those 20 times better than last year's or 100 times better than a samsung phone whatever they say so there's supposed to be an action button on the pros similar to the action button on on the apple watch ultra Um, And it's going to replace the mute switch on the pros and the pro max is expected to get a periscope lens that will allow for five X or six X optical zoom. And right now the 15 right now, the 14 pro max has a three X optical zoom. So a pretty considerable change if it does end up coming to the pro max. 
along with these upgrades, so the A17 chip, the titanium frame, the slimmer bezels, the pros are supposed to get a price bump. So it's supposed to start at $1099 for the 15 Pro and $1199 for the Pro Max. And apparently the regular 15 models, the price is staying the same, apparently. But, you know, what have you heard from, from one, from the Apple event, and two, what have you heard about these iPhones? Do these seem like considerable changes, you know, with a dynamic island coming to everything, with the changes, you know, like the USB-C port and what we seem to be, or what we're rumored to be getting with the 15 Pro devices? Do you think these are good updates or is it just Apple pushing out the same product like they always do? Uh, I think it's it's their considerable updates for Apple. I think they're they're in line with okay, we're gonna slowly add features to these phones uh, over the years to make them a little bit more interesting. And the reason why I'm I'm always I'm never really negative on these changes is that no one ever gets a new phone every year. Actually, that's a lie. I'm pretty sure there's someone <laughs> out there who gets a new phone every year, but most people don't. Uh, so by the time someone's ready to get a new phone, these changes kind of add up to be quite useful to some people. I'll go on record as to saying I do not think the Dynamic Island is all that useful. I think uh, that got a little bit more press than it deserved when it originally came out on the Pros. But the idea that that could be coming to the non-Pro models, kind of cool. Anything to minimize uh, notches and hole punches to me is a good idea. Uh, I have a phone with a hole punch, a small little hole punch in the in the corner for the first time ever. And I've heard so many reviewers say in the past that you lose track of it and you don't notice it. I still notice it and it bothers me all the time. Um, so I don't like them. I can't wait until we get to a day where we don't need those anymore. Uh, and I, I imagine when Apple finally does do that, they will probably have the best implementation of that. Maybe something like an under display camera. Um, that's, you know, better than what we see from like the Samsung Galaxy Fold. The one really interesting thing about this is like you mentioned, the first ever three nanometer chip. This is, goes back to our previous conversation about performance. Um, and I don't know if Apple will do this. You mentioned their unlabeled graphs. I'm sure they're going to have tons of unlabeled graphs about how this new chip is going to be so amazing. But the one thing I do hope they do is the one thing you get by going to a smaller process node is efficiency. Uh, chips get way more efficient and I hope that they can kind of keep performance maybe a little bit better but not really go you know full into the performance being great but focus on battery life being amazing because I could imagine with the 15 Pro Max if that's what they end up calling it and this new three nanometer chip having a big battery and this chip that can be very power efficient I could imagine a phone that could potentially last two days on a charge easily um, I have a phone right now that can almost last two days on a charge, uh, and it doesn't have the most efficient chip. It doesn't have the biggest battery. It's a pretty small phone. So I think if Apple can get to that, I think that would be a huge upgrade for a lot of people who really want um, a phone that can last as long as possible. So I think that would be really cool. And then hopefully eventually carrying uh, that process down to the Apple Watch, which I also think would be awesome. I don't think we'll see that uh on the 12th but i think that would be cool in the future uh and then the USB-C thing so i've, I've said i don't think that they were going to get USB-C, despite all the rumors pointing in that direction i was just being defiant clearly that's <laughs> probably going to happen um i'm curious to see if 
they still keep USB-C on the base level iPhones as USB 2. That is a huge problem I have with Android phones and USB-C in general is that there's no standard to what USB-C means. It's just a connector and people can do whatever the hell they want with it. Case in point, the Nintendo Switch, which I don't even know what to call that <laughs> that protocol that they use. It's, it's very custom. But uh, I would be really happy to see if they put a USB 3, maybe even USB 4 point port on the uh, base level iPhones. I don't think they'll go USB 4. But if they do go USB 4 on the Pro phones, I think that would be awesome. I think that would get a lot of people uh, really into taking really high quality raw video and photo with their phones, their Pro phones. Because they can get that information on and off the phones very quickly with a Thunderbolt style port on the phone. I don't know if that happens this year, but I think that would be really cool. How do you feel about that? Do you think that one, the USB-C port on both the non-pros and the pro phones are standardized or the same speed? Do you think they go faster with the pros? And if they do go faster with the pros, do you think you get a USB 4 port on this year of the pro or do maybe they hold that for another year? I think they're separate. I think you're right on that. I think that the pros will have a faster USB-C port than the standard version. I want to say if you're going to go with a faster one, you have to give it a USB 4. What is that? Thunderbolt, right? Yeah. Like you have to give it a Thunderbolt. That just makes sense. And then I catch myself <laughs> thinking that Apple is going to do something that makes sense. <laughs> So I could see them going USB 3 on the Pros, USB 2 on the regular 15s. Yeah. I could see them doing that because that would be a very Apple thing to do. What makes sense to me is them going Thunderbolt on the Pros and even still USB 3 on the 15s. And then that's also a selling point for, hey, this is why we have to raise the price of the Pros, uh. right? Titanium frame, uh, three nanometer chip, periscope lens on the max and you're getting thunderbolt like i could see that being a justification for why they're raising the price and to be honest if they do include thunderbolt and all this other stuff it's not not outlandish for them to raise the price that much mm -hmm. in my opinion um but yeah i do think we'd get USB-C on everything i think also for this event there's rumors we're getting an Apple Watch, also a Series 9, which is just going to be another iterative change. There's also supposed to be a new Apple Watch Ultra, which I don't think is going to be that different either. What's interesting, though, is, okay, we're on Apple Watch 9. Next year is the 10. So next year, there's supposed to be a huge redesign that happens with the Apple Watch 10, much like when we got the iPhone 10. Mm -hmm. We had that huge redesign for that, too. There's talks of maybe being new AirPods that come out with USB-C, you know, with USB-C on the charging case, maybe not happening at this event, but maybe like in a November event. But I think, yeah, definitely the main thing for September 12th, Apple Watches and iPhones. Yeah, I, th I think it will be a, a pretty good event. I think if you have an iPhone 12, 13, or 14, it probably won't be that exciting for you. But if you are coming from something like an iPhone 10, I think these phones mm -hmm. could be really <laughs> enticing. Um, Very. And I, I agree with you. I do think that if they add value to with things like the Thunderbolt 
uh, port, USB 4 port on the Pros and the better materials and stuff like that. I think they can get away with, with raising the price. I hope that we don't see a price raise across the board. Um, there's always <laughs> the chance of Apple doing that. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't know. It, it, it seems like maybe that, that they're just going to focus on the pros for now, and maybe we'll see that in the future. Um, and, you know, the Apple Watch with the Ultra, it would be cool to maybe see some colors maybe because if they are going to use the same uh materials for the you know the new pro max phone or whatever they call it uh with that material as the watch ultra i'm sure they're not just going to have one color maybe they will that we have talked about in the podcast in the past that maybe they do just have the one skew for that phone um to make it like the flagship version like the ultra but if they do introduce other colors i would like to see the watch kind of match that um so maybe like a space gray version of that i don't know if we'll ever see that the only reason i say that is because that watch is really big and i think a duller darker color might make it look a little less bulky but that's also a huge part of the design aesthetic to that watch so who knows maybe they just decide not to go that route um mm -hmm. but yeah it's going to be an interesting event uh, i guess we'll cover it on the podcast afterwards hopefully there's at least one surprise that we get to see but it seems like with leakers, they're they're pretty aware of what Apple's doing from time to time. They are. So for the event, I my prediction, I do think maybe we get a second Apple Watch mm -hmm. color, like you said, black. And I guess it's not space gray anymore; it's space black. Space black for their for their <laughs> iPhones. Interesting. Uh, and but you brought up a good point, right? If they're going with titanium frames, they're gonna come out with multiple colors for this for the fifteen. Pro and Pro Max. So if they're already milling titanium frames in a certain color, it only makes sense that they would have that available for that for the titanium frame on the Ultra. Mm -hmm. But I still think that you know part of the the I don't know the mystique of the Ultra or part of the selling point of the Ultra is that there's only one SKU. Yeah, it's not like an Apple Watch where you can get you know you can get it in different colors. And you can get, you know, the SE and you can get, no, the Ultra is the Ultra. You don't get to choose anything. Just give us your money. I think that's part of the, the mystique of it. And, you know, Apple likes to find some way to differentiate from one model to the next year, right? Whether it be they change the camera alignment or they come out with a new color. So I could definitely see the new color for this Apple Watch Ultra being space black. Mm. And it matches your space black 15 Pro. Or maybe they come out with, I don't know, some new uh, obsidian black or some weird color like that. Yeah. Right? But you're right. I do think they come out with a new color so that people know that's just not the Apple Watch. It's the second generation Apple Watch Ultra yeah. that you're wearing. I think they definitely do that. Okay. My question, last question for you. Do they rebrand to the iPhone 15 Pro Max Ultra or is it just the 15 Pro Max? I'm always wrong with Apple stuff, so I guess if you're betting on this in like Vegas, maybe do the opposite of what I say, but I'm going to guess it stays Pro Max. I think that falls in line with Apple's naming schemes. I think calling a phone an Ultra is just too similar to Samsung. I I think they can get away with it on the watch, but if it's the phone, I don't know. It, it seems weird. Uh, Apple usually likes to blaze their own trail. They like to show everyone that their marketing is way better than everyone else's and their devices are way better than every everyone else's. I don't know if they want to get caught 
or feel like uh, they're copying someone else. Um, so yeah, I think it stays Pro Max. Uh, honestly, I think calling it just iPhone 15 Ultra is a better name than the iPhone Pro Max because I think Pro Max is a dumb name. But uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, what do you think? Do you think they go Ultra? Because the more I think about it, Pro Max Ultra, I think is too much. That's too many words. But <laughs> if they just call it the iPhone 15 Ultra, I would be on board for that. Where where do you think they they land in this? So, hey, called it, you know. You said one thing, I'm putting my money on the other. <laughs> I'm going to Vegas. I say, and I think I mentioned this on another podcast before where I was just joking around, but I feel a little bit more serious about it now. They're going to come out with a Pro Max version. Right now, the limit is one terabytes. It's going to be double that. It's going to be two terabytes storage limit. There's only going to be one color skew. Mm-hmm. You don't get to choose a bunch of different colors. And... I think they still like the pro name. They like slapping pro on everything. So I think it's going to be the 15 pro ultra one specific color skew that you can't get on a regular pro or regular pro max. Uh, yeah, that's my prediction. I'm not going to lie. I think that's a good, that's a good idea. I'm, I'm just thinking of, okay, we were talking about colors earlier. If they do like colors on the pro max and whatever, but they just have like the raw unpainted version on the ultra similar to the the watch that could be a good idea two terabytes of storage would be insane and then maybe that's where they hold the usb 4 port for i don't know yeah maybe that's a thunderbolt one yeah yeah i mean look these events year to year can get a little bit i don't want to say boring but a little bit by the numbers if they do introduce a new skew like that i think that would get a lot of people talking um similar to what the apple watch ultra did uh last year so yeah i think that's a good way of of drumming up you know excitement and then even if the old the the lower skews don't get like the same kind of specs i think there's going to be a triple trickle down effect where if people start talking about this ultra phone having the super fast USB-C port and then the other phones have USB-C, but it's not as fast i think it still brings some excitement to the idea that USC, USB-C is on the iPhone, especially because so much of the competition in Android is still u- using USB 2 for their ports. Um, so yeah, uh, once again, I, I, I'm usually wrong with these things, so I'll stick by what I originally said. But if that does happen, I think that's the smarter, <laughs> the smarter move. Yeah. All right. On to topic number three, Ahsoka episode three i i literally just finished watching this so i got a lot of hot takes <laughs> that i'd like to make first off i'd like to say i was right not that you know there was we didn't argue about anything <laughs> but in the last episode i uh i made a slight prediction that you know i think you asked the question could we ever see the avengers of dave filoni characters you know, where we have like uh, Din Djarin and Ahsoka coming together, fighting against Thrawn. And in the episode, I'd mentioned that, you know, I think there's going to be some big event that happens, mm-hmm. right? And we're going to see characters from Andor and from the Mandalorian and from Ahsoka all coming together for some big galactic event. I think, I, I'm sure I saw it somewhere at like, you know, the Star Wars celebration, so, saw it mentioned 
that there was going to be, I think, like a big movie that they're working towards as opposed to like a series that they're working towards. There's supposed to be a movie from my understanding. And spoiler alert, in this latest episode, Hera, she's speaking with Chancellor Mothma. So we're starting to see a bit of crossover between different series. And some of you may be asking, what are you talking about? Like, you never predicted that before the episode came out. Somebody forgot to upload the latest podcast episode onto (laughs) our Spotify. And by somebody, I mean myself. It's just been sitting, you know, on my my drive, just waiting to be uploaded. So as soon as we're done this podcast, I'm going to upload last week's podcast. And had it come out before the episode come out, then you would have said, oh, wow, that was a really great prediction. Like, it's already started to happen. But either way, exciting to see that they're already starting to bridge some of the other series together. Something else I was right about, which actually I think we talked about off of the podcast. Mm -hmm. I don't think I brought this onto the podcast. But also, you know, hey, spoiler alert. If you haven't seen Ahsoka episodes one, two, or three, and you are worried about having things ruined for you, then go watch those. I don't know what you're doing and you're if you're listening to this. Um, But off of the podcast, I predicted that... You know, in Ahsoka, they're looking for Admiral Thrawn, and he, it seems like there's a map that leads to him in another galaxy. You know, Star Wars always takes place in this one galaxy. It's never been outside of the galaxy. And so it looks like he's located in another galaxy. And my prediction, or what I said, once again, off the podcast, so you wouldn't have heard it even if I put the podcast out on time, what I thought might be the case was there are the hyperspace whales, or I guess what they call them star whales in this episode, right? And they just, you know, they jump through hyperspace, I guess, naturally. And I guess that's the word, I don't know. <laughs> they, they jump through hyperspace uh, without, you know, they don't need ships, obviously, because they're whales. And my prediction was that when Admiral Thrawn and Ezra Bridger disappeared at the end of Rebels, they got caught in this hyperspace jump through the whales. And because there were so many of them, uh, they had this channel that they created. And I kind of said that maybe they are building, maybe the, you know, the bad guys, maybe Morgan is building a hyperspace drive to follow the path that these whales have taken. And maybe that's how all hyperspace jumps kind of work is these whales, which can naturally jump through hyperspace. They almost create like, these hyperspace lanes that then, you know, people or different alien species, they follow in these paths that the whales have already created. And at the end of the episode, we kind of get this, this small line from uh, Huyang. Uh, he has a small line where, you know, in the archives, it's mentioned that Jedi used to, f- or yeah, that intergalactic travel happened by following lanes that these hyperspace whales or these star whales created now well i mean i should have said that on the podcast i would have seen like a genius i also should have said that or i also should have put the podcast out on time i also would have seemed like a genius so you know take my word for it we talked about this before happened but you know a short episode a surprisingly short episode Mm -hmm. um but I, i know i still felt like there was a lot in it you know, we had some Jedi training with Sabine. 
We had a nice, you know, starfighter fight between the, you know, the Sith apprentice and Ahsoka and Sabine. And then we had some more, I guess, more story building and plot development. And I guess even some like more canon development too. But I was very pleased with this episode, even though it was shorter. I mean, what, the first episode was 54 and the second was like 40 something. So this episode was only 35 minutes, a short one. But I still felt that there was a lot that was packed into it. So I, I was really happy with the episode. Um, and I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are on this episode also. Yeah. So I, before this podcast, um, I mentioned that we might have different things that we want to talk about in this episode, which I think is really interesting. And I'll get back. Uh, I'll get into that a little bit later. But um there's a couple of things here that, that I want to mention. First, uh, the... By the time you hear this, you're probably already going to know that there was the the previous episode already up. But there's also the clip on YouTube if uh, anyone wants to see the impressions of the first two episodes. And those two episodes, we tried to go like spoiler free. Um, But the interesting thing about when you mentioned about the the whales, which is something I didn't know about. It's something I've never heard of before. But when you watch the end credits of the show... It's very much like, um, kind of reminds me a little bit of Mass Effect, but like a star map, essentially, where you're seeing these lanes go between these different star systems. Um, And it made me think of, oh, that's what you meant when you were talking about these whales carving the path for hyperspace travel. Um, And it was kind of really cool. It's one of those things where, once again, I'm going to bring up uh, Secret Invasion. The credits of that show had a lot of imagery from Secret Invasion. Obviously, it wasn't created by a person. It was created by some AI model, and it was very bad. But a lot of the things that it showed in that were kind of hinting at the comic book that didn't exist at all in the show. And I thought that was really annoying. Like, for example, there's this shot in that um, in those credits where you see the queen. You see, a, like, a scroll shape-shifting into, like, the scroll into a queen chess piece, hinting at the scroll queen who doesn't even show up anywhere in that show. And I think that's why I was kind of excited about that show. I'm like, Oh, we're going to get to see one of my favorite Marvel characters and they never showed up. But you mentioned after the podcast about these whales carving the path and stuff like that. And then not only do they show up in this episode, but it's something that is just ingrained in the imagery of the, the credit sequence of the show, which once again, that's another step above what the failure of, of um, (laughs) secret evasion was. But um, I also want to just ask you quickly, what did you think overall of the show, uh, this episode in particular? How do you compare it to the other two? Do you think it is as good? Um, For me, I thought the show, this episode was good. Uh, There's nothing about this show for me personally that's like made it my favorite show of all time yet. But it's just really consistent and really good. And one thing I I do want to bring up is I've complained about Uh, Disney Plus shows in the past where their runtime has been a big problem for me because the shows don't have each episode doesn't seem to have a plot specifically to that episode that has a beginning and an end. It seems like they just chop the episodes into random bits and just throw them on Disney Plus. Whereas this show so far, I felt that each episode has had a plot that's had some kind of conclusion at the end of it. Even the short episode I thought was kind of satisfying, um, which is something that Disney Plus has struggled with in my opinion, a lot, where an episode would end, and I'm like, well, that didn't feel like it was a satisfying episode at all. 
this did, but I'm curious, how did you feel about this episode overall compared to the other two? I mean, I definitely, I enjoyed it. And I'd say mm-hmm. there's probably a, like maybe a bit more excitement. I mean, one of the episodes we had a lightsaber fight, which is, I, mean, I was about to say always exciting. Yeah. But then I remembered about the fight between Luke and Kylo Ren. And that's not an exciting fight at all. Yeah. So, so we had an exciting lightsaber fight in one of the first two episodes. And also, it's definitely tough because, okay, if you think of a two-episode premiere, which was like an hour and a half compared to a 35-minute episode, yeah, they just can fit more into it. Yeah. And especially because it's the first two episodes and the first time we're getting to see live-action characters of, you know, animated characters that some people are familiar with or some people have been, you know, have a connection with or have, you know, they've grown with these characters or, you know, they know these characters. So the first time we're seeing like live action, Hera, Sabine, Chopper. So it's, it's different to, yeah, it's hard to compare. I like this episode a lot. And I think when I first started it, I just checked the runtime quickly and I saw it was 35 minutes. I was like, oh, wow, that's surprisingly short. Mm-hmm. Like, but I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like it was short watching it. Yeah. So compared to the first two episodes, I would say on a per minute basis, I guess, this was better. It seemed like there was more excitement in this episode compared to the other two. But there was also a lot of like a decent amount of world building and story building and character building in the first two episodes. Whereas this, it was like, no one really develops as a character except, okay, Sabine and and Ahsoka, their relationship changes a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know? Ahsoka's like, she's a very stern teacher. And in the episode, they're in a dogfight and they kind of begin to, okay, hey, Sabine, what do you need from me? Okay, Ahsoka, what do you need from me? So we can see the relationship starting to change a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, compared to an hour and a half that we got for the first two episodes, you get a lot more out of the characters in the first two whereas this it was it seemed more action driven than compared to the first two episodes i mean i I completely agree with you and i found a lot of similarities between um the kind of dynamic in the clone wars between uh anakin and ahsoka i remember there's one particular episode where there's a stranded jedi i think it's plo koon and um some some clones and they have to go find them, but, you know, uh, Anakin is ordered not to, Ahsoka really wants to, and she's kind of, like, brash, and, like, she doesn't, Anakin doesn't really trust her and all this stuff. It was kind of, like, a similar dynamic between uh, Sabine and Ahsoka, where Ahsoka has to learn to trust uh, Sabine and, like, say, hey, what do you need? But then also we got to see some space a lightsaber combat, which we also got to see in that episode yeah. Um, yeah. in Clone Wars. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. That's a cool amount homage to like that show but there's something about the show that i need to bring up and this is going to be a huge task but it seems like dave filoni is trying to bring together all of the different types of star wars uh fans or enjoyers or whatever uh, all the different types of star wars and bring it into one show um or into back into the the universe because something happened in this show that made me audibly say what and pause uh the the tv or pause the the stream because really all right you mentioned the scene 
with Sindula talking to Mon Mothma and the other senators. And this was kind of really intriguing because this is very similar to the Heir to the Empire series where there's always this, this kind of hidden thing in the New Republic where there is probably there were probably still some some empire loyalists in the new republic and there's even like a point where you know there's assassination attempts on leia and she has to go into hiding but she doesn't tell the new republic which she's like one of the biggest members of where she's going because clearly there are some leaks there that are you know sending these assassins after her and that kind of was was taken into that kind of scene with Hera and Mon Mothma of like, okay, yeah, clearly you can trust Mothma. She's a well-known character in Star Wars at this point. Um, but all of these other senators are a little bit shifty, kind of heir to the Empire-ish, which I thought was kind of interesting. But then right after that scene, we get introduced to a character named Jason. And this was so confusing to me because if many people don't know, in the Star Wars, prior to it being bought by Disney, Luke has three people that he trains. Uh, and they are the children of Han and Leia. The main character of which is Jason Solo. Uh, and it's spelt the exact same way. It's not like they're both spelt weird. Both this character that was introduced and Jason Solo. And I remember in the last podcast, I was like, oh, you know, never thinking that this would happen. But I was like, after the podcast I was mentioning, oh, who knows, maybe they might bring in some some of the Legends characters. Like maybe we might see Mara Jade or something like that some point in the future. Never thinking that that would happen. But the idea of seeing a character who says he wants to be a Jedi named Jason, spelt the same way as Jason Solo, to me is even far more unlikely than ever seeing a character like Mara Jade. So it's weird because if you were someone who was really into star wars you know back in the 90s and 2000s chances are you would have read a lot of these books with these characters who no longer exist in the star wars universe but dave filoni seems like i don't know maybe this could just be like a tip of the hat and a nod to those characters but potentially this could be bringing that character back in could i yeah sure go ahead interject yes i so I see where I see where you could get confused. Mm-hmm. It's a very weird spelling of a name, and the fact that there are is a Jason who wants to be a Jedi. You know, what are the chances? Mm-hmm. In the Rebels show, Hera Syndulla is partners with a Jedi, Kanan Jarrus. Okay, yeah, they have a son together at the end of the show. That son is a Jason that you see. So that's Hera's son. He doesn't look like her you know he doesn't look like an alien a green alien with tentacles i guess he looks like his father but his name is jason sindula he's the son of hera and kane jars and kane jars kane and jars was a jedi so it isn't yeah i know it's jason not a solo. solo i know it's not okay. a solo okay my my whole thing of like the idea of bringing a character like that into this universe mm-hmm. to me is very interesting because even like the you said it was it was Kanan yeah so even Kanan as a character was very much like a conflicted mm, 
kind of uh, a Jedi, sometimes kind of a dark Jedi, like not really like a cut and dry Jedi, at least from, from what I've seen. I don't know if maybe they've, mm. they've changed that. Um, and the whole thing with, with Jason Solo in the old legends, he's a very conflicted character, very much. Honestly, he is what Ben Solo is based off of. Um, so Kylo Ren. Um, mm-hmm. But even then, the, the whole point of me bringing this up is, okay, we're getting uh, kind of plot points from Heir of the Empire, which is, you know, a pre-Disney kind of story of Thrawn. We're getting little snippets of the, you know, Jason Solo, Anakin Solo kind of dynamic of those characters potentially being brought in here as well. I don't know if this is necessarily a good thing, but the reason why I bring this up is once again, this is Dave Filoni. This is him telling a story. It makes me wonder if he's trying to bring in different parts of star Wars under one roof that previously were completely disconnected. And maybe this was his plan all along. Once again, this is a person who used to work with George Lucas very closely and characters like, or stories like Heir of the empire characters like Jason Solo were George Lucas's those were his characters those were his stories so the idea that maybe something along those lines could be brought in maybe you know we mentioned could we ever see Luke um, in this kind of context I think it's far more likely now if we're seeing more people wanting to be Jedi um, and also with you know very similar Kind of story beats and similarities to what has happened in stories that have already been written. Um, I think this is really interesting. Uh, but at the same time, I do think where I agree with you in a certain sense is I wouldn't be surprised, like you mentioned, this is a character that has existed prior to this show, I, I guess, introduced in Rebels. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe this was just a tip, tip of the hat. Um, maybe just like a hey, we're going to name this character uh, this name that is a very well-known character to Legends, um, you know, Star Wars people, just because we want to give a tip of the hat of like, hey, yeah, this this is a name that you might be familiar with and, and stuff like that. I think that's more the case, and I think I would probably be a little bit more comfortable if that was the case, because, and I would like to get your opinion on this, if Dave Filoni is trying to bring in old George Lucas Star Wars into the current age of Star Wars by combining the the universes and somewhat. I think that might be too big of a task to do. Um, but I, I'm curious to get your opinion. Do you think it's probably just a tip of the hat? Maybe we're just getting some kind of little bits of Air of the Empire, little bits of George Lucas's, you know, what was supposed to be his sequel trilogy um, prior to Disney. Uh, or do you think maybe this is Dave Filoni trying to bring in a little bit of more of George Lucas's ideas into current Star Wars. And if he was trying to do that, do you think that's something you'd be worried about of it maybe getting out of hand a bit? Uh, I'm just curious to get your opinion on that. I think he might be trying to bring a, a bit of the story elements into it. And I also think it's a bit of a tip of the hat. Like maybe when that character was originally named in Rebels, I'm sure he chose that name in knowing about Jason Solo. Yeah. And to me, I'm not worried about him bringing elements of George Lucas's older stuff that isn't technically canon right now. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, you have to draw from somewhere, Mm. right? And 
to me, it's it's strange to me that there is, you know, pre-Disney Star Wars and there's post-Disney Star Wars. And apparently there's stuff in the pre-Disney Star Wars that isn't canon. Yeah. Right. And it's like, you don't need to rewrite everything. Right. And there's there's so much there's so much history and so much, you know, knowledge behind that. It's like, why would you just throw that? Not throwing it all away, but why would you throw that out? Where there's characters developed, there's stories developed. And that's the thing, too, is like, if he isn't, let's say, drawn from George Lucas's old stories, he's drawn from somewhere, right? Like, even when you look at something like Macbeth, like, how many times has the story yeah. of Macbeth <laughs> been told over and over and over again, right? So it's like, all right, if you're not going to draw from George Lucas, then maybe you draw from Shakespeare, or maybe you draw from you know from something from the phantom of the opera you're drawn story some sort of inspiration from somewhere and if there is a compelling story and a good story which you know george lucas has a lot of good stories if there is a compelling story and a good story that is already set in the universe that you're telling a story in why would you not draw from that right so i don't think it's too big of a task i'm not worried about it getting out of hand because at the end of the day like all of this comes from the mind of george lucas mm -hmm. so if there's a story that george lucas has told in the past you know either around thrawn or around luke or around whoever i wouldn't mind seeing that being brought to life by dave filoni or you know by one of the other directors or one of the other storytellers i think it would be good to have that and i guess back to the the topic of Luke, right? Cause we talked about that in the last podcast, I guess. Yeah. Like the more crossovers we see and the more there are obviously young Jedi coming up. I mean, it's definitely more likely that we see Luke, mm -hmm. right? Especially, I mean, especially because he obviously knows Ahsoka, right? We saw that in the, it was, I guess it was a Mandalorian or was it the book of Boba Fett? It's kind of, I think it was technically the book of Boba Fett, but it was like the two Mandalorian episodes. episodes. Yeah. Yeah. So they know each other. Yeah. Right. We know that Luke has a temple that he's built. I'm not sure exactly where along the timeline, this episode or show falls in relation to that. But I, I mean, Hey, I'd be definitely interested in, I guess, seeing a CGI Luke, uh, CGI Mark Hamill. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely trust the story the storytelling of Dave Filoni. And I wouldn't mind seeing some older things like, Hey, if they do eventually find Thrawn and they bring Thrawn back to the, to the galaxy. And then Thrawn is then like, we need to, we need to hunt down Luke. I think that'd be a very compelling story. Right. And as you said, that was the old Thrawn. Yeah. That was a pre Disney Thrawn. So, Hey, that's a compelling story that I'm sure people would be interested in seeing but it might be hard to tell in live action with CGI Mark Hamill being like the main character. That's a good point. But may, hey, maybe they bring him back and then that turns into an animated series, right? But yeah, I don't know. Do you think, do you think it would be too big of a task to bring some older, you know, now no, no longer canon Star Wars stories into this universe? I think it could be. Um but it's i'll say this the moment i saw jason sindula 
in the show, I got instantly more interested in the show. And this is the the thing I find kind of interesting is like we were when we were talking about the first two episodes, I mentioned that there was a lot of Easter eggs in those episodes that seemed to me like if you were a big fan of Rebels and Clone Wars, they would have drawn you in and like got you to like get really interested in the show. And for me, that little scene with that character and also the scene with uh, Hera talking to the council, that got me in as someone who didn't watch those shows. So it's just one of those things of like, well, this is some kind of wizardry happening here where <laughs> you can take the stories that have already, that exist, you know, Dave Filoni's stories that he's made um, in, you know, his animated form and bring them into live action and get people who grew up with those shows to instantly be ingrained in this kind of universe. But then also take somebody who didn't watch those shows, but, you know, was really into Star Wars prior to the Disney purchase and do the same thing. Like I said, it's probably, it. it even if it was just a tip of the hat, that's fine with me. I don't really need to see, I think it would be impossible to tell like the story of Jason Solo as Jason Syndulla. Um, but it just, it, it's just a little thing to be like, hey, we know like you're aware of a character who had this name. Um, this is a completely different character, but hey, look, I know. It's just kind of like a tip of the hat of I know thing. But the one thing I do find really interesting here is going back to the wider world of Star Wars and something I hope that Dave Filoni can kind of do to make more people more interested in, in what's going on in the universe past this time frame is that he can build characters that can exist post uh, the rise of Skywalker. So let's say, for example, who knows where Ahsoka was during that whole time? Maybe she's not alive anymore. I, I think that would be kind of unfortunate if that character doesn't exist um, going forward. Maybe they might die in the show. I'm kind of curious to get your opinion on that, if you'd be okay if that happened. But the idea, okay, we have a, a live-action Sabine who is training to be a Jedi. We have this young Jason Syndulla character who wants to be a Jedi. They could be put into the post-Rise of Skywalker Star Wars as older characters, um, and then people could already have a basis for who those are built in a show that maybe they really liked, uh, and kind of curve that direction of people being really not happy with the the sequel trilogy or the characters that were in it and introduce characters that they are actually interested in. Um, but yeah, I, I, do you think that they could do that, that with shows like this and this era that is really popular right now, build characters that can then be ported over to maybe the next big movie that they do after Rise of Skywalker in that timeline? Or do you think, hey, just keep it in this kind of universe, keep those separate maybe kind of bridging that world a bit is once again too much for for Star Wars to handle maybe it might get confusing um or maybe it might just annoy people because they didn't like those movies to begin with I think they could definitely build characters they could definitely build characters that people would be interested in seeing after the fact like even if you just look at Sabine right mm -hmm. like really it's the so the show is Ahsoka but it's about Ahsoka and Sabine yeah. Right? She's as much of a star character or lead character in the show as Ahsoka is. So by the end of the show, I wouldn't be surprised if 
Sabine either gets her own spin-off series or even like if she she pops up in other TV sh- or you know other Star Wars shows and series also mm. right especially considering she is Mandalorian right and yeah. we do know that well from the Rebels show she knows uh Bo-Katan Kreese right so I definitely could see her branching out past Ahsoka and depending on how the series goes and how her character develops, she could even get her own show after this, right? I don't necessarily see them going into the movies, you know, going relating them to the the Force Awakens movies and you know the Daisy Ridley trilogy. I'm like one, I'm not sure if the timelines or how the timelines would work out. But also I yeah, I don't know. I just for whatever reason, I see these shows, these current Disney Plus shows as very separate from the movies. Mm-hmm. And I think they could have their own I guess they could have their own movies, but I wouldn't want to see them in the in the Daisy Ridley movies if that makes any sense or in relation to them because they are coming out with movies or okay, what does Daisy do afterwards? Yeah. Right? Or no, her name's not Daisy. Her name, what is Ray? Ray. What does Ray do afterwards? Um. So. Yeah, for whatever reason, I just I just don't see the two mixing. But, I mean, hey, crazy prediction. Maybe we get someone from one of those movies, other than Luke Skywalker, of course. Maybe we have one of them show up in a TV show. Although, I'm trying to think. Like, this is after. The Rebellion, this is the New Republic, and then in The Force Awakens, the First Order rises yeah. to try and overthrow the Republic. Luke is very right? old, so who knows Luke how is many very years. old, so yeah, we'd need like 30, 40 years maybe yeah. between these shows and that. So yeah, I don't know, maybe, maybe. But, okay, back to your, your question about Ahsoka. I don't think she... I don't think she dies in this series. I mean, I hope she doesn't. But I also don't... Like, yeah, you brought up a good question. Where was she during the whole Force Awakens thing, right? I'm guessing she's not around at that point. Hey, maybe she jumped to a different galaxy. I was going to bring maybe that up. Maybe that's what happened. Yeah. Um. Yeah, maybe that's what happens. So that was so that she's alive somewhere else, not dead. So that was something I was going to bring up. Of you know, I I brought up in the previous podcast um, what happens if you know, uh, Ewan McGregor comes to you and he's like, "Yeah, I want you're the head of Disney." He's like, "I want um, Obi Wan season two. My question to you is, okay, what happens if Dave Filoni comes up to you and is like, "You know what? I'm not happy with." A lot of the sequel stuff. I'm not happy with a lot of the stuff that I don't have uh, control in. Uh, what if you give me my own galaxy? Um, you know, I can build the the structure of how we get characters from one galaxy to another. Um, you know, maybe I can bring the characters that I really like into this other galaxy, like Ahsoka, like Sabine, or whatever. Um, and start maybe a new Jedi temple or something like that there uh, where there's a lot of this history with, you know, maybe that's where the force came from. All these kind of ideas. 
once again, is that too confusing? Do you trust Dave Filoni if he decides he wants to do something like that and you get to keep those kind of worlds separate? Or is it just like, okay, no, these guys have to come back to the main galaxy. This another galaxy that they're going to just has to be a, a short detour. At some point, we have to come back to where Star Wars has always been and, and kind of bring these characters back to it. I think they have to be in the same universe. I mean, yeah, I'm sure you could build a bridge to the other universe and you can make it all make sense. But, I mean, and this is strictly from a business standpoint, you lose out on so much potential for TV shows I agree. and movies and merchandise if you take them and separate them into a different universe. And it's like, all right, we're never going to see the Mandalorian and Grogu, <laughs> you know, interacting with Luke again. And, you know, so, yeah. I think it needs to stay in this universe. And I think it's just going to be a quick detour to, let's say, pick up Admiral Thrawn and Ezra and then bring them back. I think that's what it's going to be. Yeah. Um, another prediction for the show. At some point, we see Zeb Aurelius. I mean, not a crazy prediction because he did show up in the Mandalorian series and he used to be with Sabine and uh and harris and doula they used to all be crewmates together so i'm sure at some point he's gonna pop up and maybe save the day you know because he was with the he's with the republic fleet and he's one of the x-wing fighters right so maybe hair or yeah not hera i guess ahsoka sabine they're on this planet they're being hunted by the dark jedi slash second order-ish people they're being hunted by them. And then Hera tries to get the fleet, which she just did. Didn't happen. She got denied. Maybe she reaches out to Zeb. Be like, Zeb, they're trying to, you know, the bad guys are trying to bring back Thrawn. Ahsoka, Sabine, they're on this planet. I couldn't get any support. You, couple of your X-Wing buddies, let's go to this star system and mm -hmm. let's save Sabine. I could see that happening. I mean, maybe not next episode, maybe in a couple episodes, but... Yeah, and also, you know, one, you get to see X-Wings fighting, which everybody loves to see, and to a little bit of fan service, yeah. you know, for the people who were fans of Rebels, and even people just who recognize him from the Mandalorian show. And from the Mandalorian show, I can't remember what the... Captain Carson. Mm -hmm. So Zeb was, is an X-Wing fighter with Captain Carson. So I could see, hey, we get... Zeb Aurelius for the Rebels people. We get Captain Carson for the Mandalorian people. And we get X-Wings fighting. I could see that happening in one of the next couple of episodes. So a lot of fan service. X-Wings, action fighting, cool. Zeb comes and saves the day. I could see that happening. I mean, you're building a perfect scenario for me of like a starship X-Wing battle and potentially a lightsaber battle happening kind of in parallel like what happened in the Duel of the Fates. With Anakin yep. taking down the droid army and, you know, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon fighting Darth Maul. Like, they they gave a little bit of a hint of that in, I think it was the second episode where Ahsoka was fighting and Hera was trying to get the tracker on the ship. It felt a little Duel of the Fatesy, which I, I kind of really liked. But yeah, this that just seems like it would be an awesome scene. I guess my final question to you is, how do you feel about the show so far? There's about five episodes left. Um, are you excited? Still excited? I remember last time you mentioned you couldn't wait um, to see the next episode. Do you still feel that way? 
And uh, do you think like, I haven't seen any reviews of the show, but are you feeling pretty positive with the show overall? I, I think I am. I think I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. Feeling pretty positive. Yeah. Uh, take it easy, everyone in podcast land. Catch you in the next episode.